In episode 21 of MobyCast, we pick up on last week's conversation with part two of how to create effective container images. Welcome to MobyCast, a weekly conversation about containerization, Docker, and modern software deployment. Let's jump right in. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of MobyCast. And we have Rich, our producer, with us. Hey, Rich. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. And Chris. Uh, hey, John. Hey, Rich. technical expert and, and constant friend on MobyCast. Welcome. So, um, Rich, what have you been up to this week? So, I, last week, uh, I was on vacation. And so, this week is pretty much playing catch-up from that vacation, which hasn't been terrible, but I'm a little bit underwater. So, um, not a whole lot of fun, interesting things. Just really just answering emails and trying to put out any of the small fires that I'd let kind of burn while I was gone. Very cool. Welcome back from vacation. Although it didn't seem like you were gone because we work virtually. And I think I had like two meetings with you while you were on vacation. Yeah, I don't really know how to but disconnect. Anyway, so. welcome back. Yeah, good to be back. <laughs> and, and Chris, how about you? What have, what have you been up to? Let's see. Um, yeah, myself, I've been getting in a, a, a lot of bike riding, which is uh, definitely my uh, my hobby of choice uh, here during the during summers in Seattle, it's beautiful weather for it. Uh, maybe a little bit on the hot side, but not complaining. And then um, also yesterday, I was fortunate enough to um, be in a, a small setting with the with a famous actor, um, Kyle McLaughlin, um, the uh, actor from Twin Peaks, and also the mayor in Portlandia. Um, so I was. Uh, just a, a small setting with like 10 other people um, and just chatting with, with Kyle for about 20 minutes. Um, he's, he's the winemaker for a, uh, a very interesting wine called pursued by bear and uh, just got to hang out with him. So it was kind of just really down to earth guy. Um, really easy to talk to. And it was very fun. Really enjoyed it. That's super fun. We'll make sure to add him on Twitter about this episode. And then I have been, not not doing too much. We had some company in town, but then this morning I did something fun, which was giving a webinar about Docker. It was called Agility on Steroids with Docker. And I gave it for the Scrum Alliance group, which is the largest um, group that gives certifications and training for Scrum and other agile techniques. And that was that was super cool. And they recorded it. So we'll put a link to the recording on ProDockerTraining.com as soon as we can get our hands on it. Now, today, we're going to continue um, discussing a topic that we started last week. Um, of course, we've been doing several in a series of just recapping what we learned at DockerCon, which is, is great because we can digest it a little more slowly than, you know, a, a three-day conference, and we can pick only the stuff that was super interesting, and it stays relevant for at least a few months after it happened, so we can catch everybody up on what went down this year. Last year, we talked about Abby Fuller's talk. Uh, she talked about creating effective Docker images, and we got through about half of that, and you know, we always pepper in some of our own opinions, and we did that. And today we'll be doing the rest. So just to kind of, re I think we should just recap a little bit, um, just at a very, very high level, like a few sentences of some of the things we covered last week and then some of the things we're about to cover today. Chris, would you mind doing that? Sure, you bet. So yeah, last week we kind of dove into uh, just the Docker file itself and images um, and, and what they're composed of. So basically get into layers 
how those how those impact your actual Docker image, how they they um, starting with the right base layer kind of sets the framework for for um, what your final Docker image is going to be and and how small it's going to be and how performant it's going to be when um, when building that image. Talked about cacheability, how how Docker caches these layers and how that impacts the building of your your images. Um, and then we also talked about some some tips um, around just what are the best practices for making sure that your your images are as small as possible um, and also as cacheable as possible. Cool. I noticed in your notes here that there's one one tip that we didn't talk about: um, the new experimental Docker build flag called Squash. Yeah, I mean we could we could kind of dive right into that a little bit. Um, that that isn't it's a it's an experimental flag. It's um, it's not part of the um, the stable builds yet. Um, and really, the intent behind that is that when you are doing when you're building your Docker image, you can pass this flag to the Docker build command, and it will then go and if it if you've in the process of building your Docker image, you're you're creating like four additional layers, um, that squash command will say, no, I want to squash those into those four layers into a single one. Um, so it's a way of, um, again, reducing the number of layers and, um, making your images smaller. Um, this does have, you want to make, this is, this is one of those things where you can probably get bitten by it. If you're, if you're not careful where you then you have trade-offs with cacheability, right? So if you have, You'd have to use it correctly, and I'm sure this is one of the reasons why it's still experimental, and and uh, there's going to be some some education around it. Right on, and we haven't used that in any of our work yet, but uh, but it's interesting. Sounds like something we might like to experiment with, especially if we start running it up against you know weighty images that are hard to get into and out of registries that cause builds to take longer than we want. Absolutely. So yeah, for the rest of the day. It uh, looks like we're going to talk about multi-stage builds, security, garbage collection. Maybe, uh, yeah, I don't even know what multi-stage builds really means. Maybe we can start there. What does that mean? Yeah, so um, this has been an ongoing pattern in, in um, with Docker and, and building your images where Usually, as you as you um, want to build your application, you're, you're going through various different stages, right? So sometimes you may be needing to add things to your Docker image just to build artifacts, um, and you may need dependencies as part of that process of building the artifacts. But then the act- those dependencies, you don't need them anymore um, in the final runtime image, if you will. So it's it's kind of like, you think of it maybe as kind of like compile time versus runtime dependencies. And so this has been just a kind of an ongoing issue with with Docker images, and like again in the the spirit of how do you make them as efficient and and um, as small as possible, you you basically want to, your final image you want to end up with something that is just the has the runtime support and doesn't have the that compile time support, if you will. I'm trying to think of a specific example, and let me run one by you and see if see if this is close. So. Um, I'm just thinking about Ruby on Rails, which is something I'm fairly familiar with, and some people might and that are listening might also be familiar. And I know that when you're doing a, a build with Ruby on Rails, at one point there's something that happens called pre-compile assets. And what that does is it'll take things like less or SCSS, like some some non-compiled CSS stuff, and turn it into real CSS. And it'll take some 
JavaScript and minify it and, and just do a few other things. And it takes a long time. And at the end of that, you'll end up with actual CSS for your website and actual JavaScript that's minified for your website. And what you won't need anymore is any of the code that was required to create those artifacts. Could that be related to what we're talking about in multi-stage builds? Like what, like maybe cleaning up after yourself after you do that compilation, that, that pre-compiling of assets? Yeah, that's a great example. Um, so those, those last files, um, they're not used in the final runtime, right? They're, they're, in, they're no, used to no. produce generated code. So it's really the generated code that is the, the runtime stuff and the less code that, that intermediate code, um, is no longer, no longer needed. So that is exactly what like multi-stage builds. And then also, you know, again, having, uh, there's, there's been other techniques to, to get around this issue of like, how do I, I don't want to, inc- I shouldn't be including that stuff in my final Docker image if it's really not part of the runtime environment. So that's a great example in the um, JavaScript world. Another one would be like, if you're, if you're writing code um, in um, ES6 um, and you're running it through, through something, a transpiler like Babel um, to output ES5 code, then it's kind of this, this, the same thing, right? So you, there's really no reason to have the ES6 code anymore. It's really just the transpiled um, ES5 code that you'd want in your, in your final image. Maybe another example Got it. would be like you need to install, install a, a compiler in the tool chain um, to actually um, build like native um, code. So like it could be like C++ bindings for a, for a few node packages. Um, so I always think about image magic. Mm-hmm. Sure. Image yeah. Magic is a classic thing that you have to build into systems that, you know, web applications. Right. Yeah, exactly. So th- these are things that, you know, you, you need them as part of the process of like building your final artifacts and the actual runtime support that you need. But after that, you don't, you, you only need it during the building process. So how do you get that, make sure that they're not part of the final Docker image? And so in the past, um, before, so multi-stage builds, this is a, this is a newish feature in Docker. It's, it's been around for a little over a year now. Um, but you know, relatively newish, um, before then the way around this was, um, basically do it yourself manually through using, um, multiple Docker files. Um, and so this kind of, this technique is kind of similar to um, having your own shared common base image that you might have that shared across multiple applications that you're building to kind of have a, an optimized trusted base image that has the the stuff that you need in it, need in it. Um, This is kind of like the same technique, right? Where you would have multiple Docker files for your, um, to build your final image. And then you're, 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 you have these different um, base images at each one of these these stages in the pipeline to, and then you're just adding the the stuff that you need um, at each one of these stages. So it ends up being you could do it, but definitely a lot more, more a lot more work and also a lot more um, just not very reusable. I guess I'm a little confused by this because um, you know my mind is like. Wait, why don't I just build the stuff and then just delete the stuff I don't need? And I'm thinking that the reason that I can't just delete the stuff I don't need is because um, there either there isn't a delete kind of Docker file delete command, or 
if there is, it doesn't actually reduce the size of my image because the deleting is just another layer on top of the things that got added already. Do you know which of those it is or if I'm just misunderstanding altogether? Um, yeah, actually, I think one of the issues is there is no Docker delete command, right? So like okay. in Docker, you have, you have, you have um, commands like add and copy. Um, those uh-huh. are those are actually aware of the content that you're that it's putting on there, and it's doing it's actually doing checksums on the content that's been adding with that stuff. Um, the other commands you, a run command, so you could you could delete things with a run command. So you would do like run and then rm, um, but when you do that, it's not taking into account the actual content that's being removed. It just sees it as a run command. And now it's just right. So it's just adding a layer. Mm-hmm. So, um, and not only that, like it's probably not like how do you how do you delete a compiler tool chain? Um, you know, like what are the, what are the you know how do you actually clean that all up type thing? Um, you right. know, maybe, maybe you can do it. Um, you know, uh, using your your favorite package manager and do an uninstall. Um, but again, yeah, it's it's it's. it's it's not really going to give you what it is that you need. So instead you kind of want to have these starting from your base image, you're just adding to it. Um, so it, it's more of an it, additive it. process than a subtractive. Right. So then just to help me understand what, what would happen with multiple Docker images. It, and the first one I would go and do a bunch of compiling after, you know, I get my base image and then I would put some files on it and compile those files. And then the results of the compilation would end up in some folder. And then in the second image, I would say, okay, get my base image again. And in this time, instead of compiling, I'm going to grab the stuff that ended up getting compiled from the other image and just put it directly in already pre-built. Is that sort of what you're saying? Mm -hmm. So that the whole comp- compilation step doesn't have to take place? Kind of. It, it depends on the situation. Um, this is definitely what we get with multi-stage builds um, in Docker. Um, using multiple Docker files, it's a little bit more complicated than that. And, and I think typically it's more along the lines of, like, I'm, I have something that's um, for the um, development environment or my debug um, versus, like, my production build. Okay. Um, type thing okay. so, Got it. Um, and, Got it. and and you can um it, it again it, it it's kind of like a, it's very much an open-ended thing right it, it and it's going to be very much specific to how you design you design it so there's there's various techniques and whether you're how you you're dealing with the intermediate input um, output from each one of these docker builds is is really kind of up to you and and that's where Again, it's like that's why Docker implemented this multi-stage builds feature because it's it cleans all this stuff up and makes it so much more um, uh, intuitive and straightforward, and it really gets to the to the core use case of what what it is that you're trying to do. Got it. Yeah, it makes sense. Hey, this is Rich. You might recognize me as the guy who introduces the show, but is pretty much silent during the meat of the podcast. The truth is. These topics are oftentimes incredibly complex, and I'm just too inexperienced to provide much value. What you might not know is that John and Chris created the training product to help developers of all skill sets get caught up to speed on AWS and Docker. If you're like me and feel underwater in these conversations, head on over to ProDockerTraining.com and get on the mailing list for the inaugural course. Okay, let's dive back in. Okay, so then 
how does the multi-stage build kind of work? Right. And, and so at its core, it's, it's very, very simple. And so what it is, is um, with a single Docker file, um, you essentially can have multiple base images. Yes, sections. Okay. Because <laughs> yeah. really, so that what, what the pattern ends up being is you'll, um, you will, you'll start off with, you know, whatever base image you're using, you'll go and compile, you know, build assets um, that will put um, artifacts out into, into some area of that particular part of the, of the, of the image. And then you can have subsequent commands that now say, um, I'm going to start with a different base image. Um, now I can go with my lighter image. So like maybe I started off with my full Ubuntu image because that has all my compile time support and all the other dependencies that I need. I went and go build all my artifacts. Um, I know all my artifacts are going into a certain output directory um, as configured by my, my tool chain. Um, and now I can have a second stage um, defined in that Docker file that says, I'm now going to start from maybe an Alpine base image, a really small, tight image. Um, and then what I can do is I can say, I'm going to do a, a um, copy command. But the copy command, you can now give it, instead of just saying the files are coming from your your local file system, you can actually have them come from one of the previous stages in your Docker file. So now I can say... Cool copy basically copy my artifacts from that previous stage and you and you you specify like where you want it to come from um so really really powerful so it, it just it's totally aligned with this use case it does exactly what it is that you need to do where you're just plucking the the artifacts mm-hmm. that you need to pull into your image um type thing so very powerful yeah that's super cool that makes a lot of sense and i think i think i get it now it's like being able to refer to a different stage um and grab files out of that, but like I, I don't think it needs much further explanation. So thanks, that yeah. that helps. And I would guess we probably haven't we probably haven't had a chance to really try this yet. No, I mean we um, and we do we we need to do it. Um, it it's it's definitely on the the to do list to to go through. Obviously, it's a it's a pretty big change across all of our projects. Um, sure, but. Yeah. Um, I, and it's like I said today on the webinar that I gave that that your CI/CD pipeline is always about halfway done. You're always like, no matter how long you work on it, you're like, yep, we're about halfway done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> never quite get there, huh? So, <laughs> right. That's, I mean, isn't that that's just true with technology in general, right? It's like, yeah, totally, what was totally. like, hey, it's like, hey, I'm up to date as of today. No, no, you're not, because <laughs> there were some announcements yesterday. <laughs> Sorry, you're you're now fifty percent per date. Cool. So now the next one makes me nervous because we've just already been talking for a long time, and I, you just can't even say the word security without having an hour long conversation. But maybe let's see what what do we have to talk about with security for images? Sure. So actually, this one is pretty pretty simple and straightforward, and it's not going to take much time at all. So um, again, this is again a recap of the talk Abby Fuller gave at DockerCon. 2018 about how to build effective container images, um, and again, one of these 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 uh, topics of the of, of the discussion was you know security. What, what can you do around images? And so, pretty straightforward with images. Um, use a scanning service. So, basically, scan your images for known vulnerabilities um, and to be alerted of it. So it's you know things like hey, there's a um, maybe there's a bug in, in Ubuntu, the, a security um, issue with Ubuntu. Um, 
distribution, you know, a certain version number and you happen to be using it. So if you use one of these scanning services, they're going to let you know that, hey, you have, you're using this code that has this known vulnerability. There's multiple of these scanning services out there. We, I think we've talked about, touched on this on some pre- previous MobyCast episodes. So there's um, a mixture of paid and free um, tools out there. So there's really no reason not to do this. Um, so check out uh, Mike, uh, Microscanner from Aqua. That's an open source. Um, the Community Edition is an is a, um, open source free tool. Um, there's also um, Docker itself. They have um, their security scan with their trusted registry um, as a paid product. Um, and then there's other, um, offerings like from, uh, there's Claire from core OS and, and there's others out there. So definitely give that a look. It should be part of your process of just building your Docker images, put them through a security scan and just see if there's any binary code there that just, um, is not safe and is, has known, known vulnerabilities. They can go in and, and patch it up. That's pretty cool. Yeah, there's scanners at every level now. You can scan your repository, um, and then later after you build everything, you can scan your image. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, cool. Well, next, what what is uh, Docker garbage collection all about? I know what it is in programming languages and uh, like running, you know, Java garbage gar- garbage collection and Objective C garbage collection, etc. But what's Docker garbage collection? Yeah, so Docker Carpet. So using Docker um, and the whole life cycle of creating images, um, running those images, um, and then lather, rinse, repeat, this actually ends up taking lots of space, um, especially, you know, disk space. Um, it, it creates a lot of, lot of artifacts and, and at the end of the day, it, it, you know, garbage. So, you know, you go back to back in the day when Bill Gates said, I can't imagine any computer needing more than 650, 640 kilobytes of RAM or something like that. Um, (laughs) He he didn't know about Docker. (laughs) Um, So there's a, there's a, there's a lot of, um, so with just about every one of the primitives of Docker, the, the, the uh, fundamental elements of, of, of the Docker tool chain will, will have these artifacts, right? So you have images, you have um, containers, uh, you have volumes, you have things like even networks. Um, all these things, um, as you are going through the Docker process and running them, um, they will hang around um, potentially, uh, and they're not going to get necessarily cleaned up automatically. So, so it's kind of up to you to which, is, which could be a good thing, right? That could be a good thing because what we want when we have lots of containers running on a machine is like fast startup. So keeping them around can really help with that startup time. Yeah, absolutely. And there's also things like cacheability, right? Layers and, and yep. making sure that those layers are there. So, so there, there's definitely, um, you know, some, some, some trade-offs and it's going to be very dependent upon your environment. And that's one of the reasons why Docker doesn't do it automatically for you. And so, um, you know, you, you'll, you'll find if you do, there, there's a difference of, of, talk about garbage collection with Docker. There's different techniques for doing it locally versus in production. Um, locally ends up being definitely much more of a, probably a manual process. It's kind of up to you as the individual um, to, to deal with that. Um, in production, you can rely much more on your orchestrator um, to do this. And most of the orchestration systems will clean up for you automatically. 
So talking about that, um, you know, for production, we use um, Amazon ECS, the Elastic Container Service, and um, that um, has its own built-in garbage collection. So there is a um, an agent uh, piece of software that sits on each one of the the nodes in the in the ECS cluster, um, and that is it just takes on the task of every once in a while it goes through and just cleans up any, any images that are no longer being referenced by any containers, um, any containers that are stopped and, and no longer being used and just keep making sure that it's, that it's being um, kept relatively clean. Um, and, and that's important because if you don't do that, you, you know, the, the net result will be, you know, at one time, at some point you're going to get a, um, try to start a container and you're going to get an error saying, sorry, we couldn't, couldn't run this container because there's no more room on disk. You're going to run out of disk space. So again, it's, it's much, much better. Now the orchestrators have gotten more sophisticated and they, they give this to you and you don't have to worry about it as much. Um, a couple of years ago, that definitely wasn't the case. And this was one of the ongoing problems of running Docker in production was, you know, how do you keep your, your disk clean and not run and not run into this issue of, of running out of space. Um, on the local side, um, to do it yourself kind of manually in the past, again, it's been more difficult where you'd have to kind of by hand do this um, and individually remove images. Um, very tedious process. Uh, but recently Docker's added some, some nice commands into it. So the, um, these are the prune commands. And so now you can say if you want to just get rid of all the images that um, are no longer being used locally, you just run Docker image prune dash A, and that will blow them all away for you. Um, so what used to take minutes um, of time is now something that just is, you know, instantaneous. It's really easy to do and no reason not to do it. Um, there's, in addition to pruning images, you can, there's also the commands for pruning networks and for pruning containers. Um, and then there's a, a, an Uber command um, called Docker system prune, and that will do everything for you on one fell swoop. So, so definitely check that out. Make sure you're doing that. Keeping, keeping, uh, keeping your disk and good um, uh, from getting clogged up with all those, these Docker artifacts um, and you'll be good to go. Super helpful. Um, we have one more point on the list of notes that says takeaways, and I'm not sure if that was an additional thing that we wanted to talk about or if we just wanted to wrap basically right here. Sure, yeah, we can just kind of wrap up quickly, which is kind of like the overall takeaways from from this particular session at DockerCon. And so, you know, just in a nutshell, some the major takeaways from this were, you know, one, less layers is definitely more, right? So so strive, really think about your how you're building your Docker images and and, and strive to keep the number of layers minimal. You also want to share layers with, where possible. Um, so basically this concept of, of reuse um, so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel for every single one of your applications. So, so um, strive for that. You um, also want to choose or build your base image wisely. So um, it's kind of like you're not going to be successful if you don't start off with a good base image with the right base image. So that's a pretty important choice. And a lot of times people don't put too much choice into that. They, they, they choose that base image based upon convenience, not necessarily on what's going to generate the best possible final image. So, so definitely um, consider that strongly. Um, 
also another key takeaway would be that, you know, not all languages should build the same. So how you build a Docker image for, for a node application is going to be different than how you build one for Rails. And so don't treat them the same. Um, so there are app domains, application domain specific techniques that make more sense. And a lot of the times this deals with how dependencies get installed and cacheability and whatnot. So definitely keep that in mind. Um, and then, you know, finally just keep it, keep it as simple as possible and avoid the extras. So, um, keep, keep the surface area small and only, only put in there what you need. Super good. Well, I certainly learned quite a bit here. Um, I'm about ready to stop my job as a person that runs a company and become a Docker developer. <laughs> I appreciate it, Chris. Awesome. Thanks so much. And Rich, producer Rich, thanks for joining us as well. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. Well, dear listener, you made it to the end. We appreciate your time and invite you to continue the conversation with us online. This episode, along with show notes and other valuable resources, is available at mobicast.fm forward slash 21. If you have any questions or additional insights, we encourage you to leave us a comment there. Thank you, and we'll see you again next week.